0: Do you love comics, figurines, and other collectibles? Keith's Comics has you covered. Keith has been serving up your hero hookup for 25 years with trading cards, graphic novels, hero clicks, and all the latest books for major publishers. Keith's Comics, spelled K-O-M-I-X, is in Schaumburg at 528 South Roselle Road. Can't find it? Look behind the McDonald's. Satisfy your hunger for heroics with Keith's decades of experience and passion for service. Keith's Comics... Quench your comic craving. In a world where nerds reign, and every day feels like New Comics Day, there is the question, what can be done next? Strap yourselves in and get ready for a barrel of fun with Josh Daniels and Kevin Matthews. Bringing you all the latest news on comics, culture, and cosplay. So get ready and get set. Because it's time for the Triple C Podcast. And yes. Hello everyone out
1: there on the internet, Twitter, Facebook, wherever you may roam. Wherever you may happen to listen to our uh, fantastically funny little adventures where we talk about all things nerdy. I'm your master of the mic, your host with the most... Josh Daniels and unfortunately today I'm not joined by my good friend and colleague Kevin Matthews Kevin couldn't make it into the studio today that's okay we will marshal on instead without dear Kevin and today is going to be a very very extra special episode today not only because we're gonna have very two very awesome people on to discuss both John Constantine everyone's favorite British warlock now being played still in media by the fantastic fantastic matt ryan on the cw's legends of tomorrow we're also going to be having a little bit of a discussion with a buddy of mine who is a filmmaker screenwriter and diehard green lantern fan to give his thoughts and feelings about the upcoming soon or later going to be made green lantern core film from warner brothers and dc as part of the worlds of dc cinematic universe this first segment i've been putting this out on twitter all week And there's been a huge reaction from people. So I want to say thank you to everybody for actually, well, reacting. And I want to say a big special shout out to the two people whose interviews we finally get to play on the Triple C podcast after a a several month embargo, Maurice LaMarche and Rob Paulson. I had the very good fortune of meeting these fine gentlemen at Wizard World Chicago 2018 this year. Got to interview the both of them. And uh, the interviews were initially only meant for print for the website that I write for in my spare time, the Pop Culture HQ website. But again, the embargo has been lifted. The curtain has been drawn back. And now, ladies and gentlemen, without further ado, I give you the fabulous interviews with the one and only Pinky and the Brain themselves. Enjoy. This is Josh Winchester with the Triple C Podcast and PopCultureHQ.com. I'm here at Wizard World Chicago 2018 with the one and only Maurice LaMarche. You may know him better as Inspector Gadget, Brain, and Egon Spengler. Well, Maurice, welcome to the Windy City, my friend.
2: How you doing? It's pretty windy here. Okay, enough of that. Thanks, man. Thanks. Good, Good to be here. Well, first off,
1: this being one of your first times, I believe, in the Windy City, correct? This is your first time being in Chicago for a con? This is
2: my very first time being in Chicago for anything, for life. I went to Oak Park... Uh, once for a a gallery signing in the afternoon at the old Warner Brothers store, but it literally was an afternoon. I never got into the proper Chicago area, so this is going to be my first time in Chicago.
1: Well, we certainly hope that you stick around after the convention and take in some of the sights and sounds of our uh, beautiful city, but right off the bat, with the Animaniacs getting a reboot on Hulu in the next year, does that mean that fans could potentially see the uh, reunion of Pinky and Brain?
2: Well, let me just put it this way. Uh, very excited, and it's very exciting news. I'm very excited to hear about the Animaniacs reboot. Um, whether or not we're involved is still uh, up for grabs. It's, not, it's, it's, not, uh, it's neither confirmed nor denied, but um, uh, I just know there's going to be some good stuff coming down the pike. Absolutely,
1: especially with getting the whole band back together, as they say. Now, 2018 is a year of milestones, and Animaniacs turned 25 years old this day. That's a quarter of a century. If you could go back in time to yourself 25 years ago when you first started, what would you tell yourself then that you know now, like wisdom and knowledge
2: to impart to yourself back then? I would say be a little easier to work with and be really, really grateful uh, that you're part of this show. At the time, I had a bit. I was younger. I was brasher. I had a bit more of an ego, and uh, I think I could have been just a little more easygoing in those days. And um, and I think I would have, you know, pounded a little humility into my brain. Now, now I think I'm at the point where I just go, you know, you've been lucky to have any success at all in this business, and I really do appreciate all that has happened for me in this. Uh, in this crazy sh- showbiz thing because if you know to keep your head above water at all is a is a miracle you know?
1: absolutely and we the fans love you and salute you for it one of my uh wrap up questions here looking back on your past work together with rob you guys have been trading banterous blows back and forth for a long time are there any standout moments in all your years of knowing to each other and working together
2: I just the thing that stands out most is the very first time that we did some, um, we did some publicity in the Warner Brothers office for Tiny Tunes. and we uh, no no excuse me it was for Tasmania, and we just clicked as a as a team just talking as Maurice and Rob we knew we had fun in the studio together we knew that our characters from uh, from Tasmania uh, uh, who were the platypus brothers had had nice timing but when we were being interviewed together we just had such a give and take as as the real maurice and the real rob but i just went wow we we, we really we really have got something here and so when we became pinky in the brain the next year uh, we were, you know, just super thrilled that it was us working together, you know. So the chemistry that I sort of knew we had just from that one interview got to be carried into Pinky and the Brain. I think it's one of the reasons it works. Well, 25 years later, and you guys are still making
1: fans laugh and cry for every new generation. On behalf of the Triple C Podcast and Pop Culture HQ, thank you for giving us the gift of your time. And thank you for gracing us with your presence
2: here in the Windy City, my friend. Thank you for having me on your podcast. I really appreciate it. Thank you.
1: Hello, Josh. Nice to see you, pal. How are you? I'm doing great, and it's pretty hard to come off of an uh, opening like that. Now, this is uh, your first time doing a convention here in Chicago, is it not? It is. I, uh, I grew up in Michigan just across the
3: lake, so I'm, I'm kind of in my home territory, but Chicago is uh, preaching to the choir. It's one of the finest cities in the universe, and to be here and at this uh, really, really wonderful shindig put on by Wizard World is a, a huge privilege. Great to be here.
1: Well, it's a huge privilege for us to be able to speak with you and to have you here. Now, with the Animaniacs getting the Hulu reboot next year, which uh, with a two-season lineup, uh, and I asked this of uh, Maurice earlier, does that mean that we could potentially see the reunion of Pinky and the Brain? Well, we certainly you will see a reunion of Pinky and the Brain for sure because Mr. Spielberg
3: has definitely decided to do some more Pinky and the Brains. I think your question essentially is, uh, will Maurice and I be doing our roles? And um, while I can't say for sure because Warner Brothers will let that news out. Uh, Let's put it this way. If I were in Washington testifying before a Senate subcommittee, I would say I can neither confirm nor
1: deny. So you you can read into that what you will. I will read into that as a very possible maybe and take it at that. Now, 2018 is a milestone year for a lot of television programs. And Animaniacs reached its 25th birthday this year. How does it feel to, you know, be a part of a program that has made it a quarter of a century and made become so much to so many fans? And if you could go back to yourself 25 years ago and impart some wisdom from today, what would you tell yourself so that's a two-fold question.
3: Uh, well, thank you. Firstly, uh, it, it is kind of indescribable to be part of something, and you know I've been incredibly fortunate. I, uh, having done two different Ninja Turtles with a 25-year gap, talking about a franchise there that was brand new in 1984. So we're t- 34 years for the Turtles, Animaniacs and Pinky and the Brain. Um, that, if, if Ninja Turtles changed my career, Animaniacs changed my life because uh, it was musical, and I got to work with Maurice and Tress and Mr. Spielberg and all these wonderful people, Jess Harnell. And uh, we now have, uh, uh, like you said, 25 years since the show aired uh, uh, originally, and you can argue that the fan base is almost three generations. So the wisdom I would have given to my younger self would have been Buddy, stick around because this show is going to be a big deal. So if you ever get discouraged between now and 2018, get through it because you're going to want to see how exciting this is down the road. And it's a huge thrill to be able to share this with the people.
1: And it's a huge thrill to be able to be here with you and to uh, just hear you say that, especially with all the years of uh, wonderment that you've given to us. Final question. You and Maurice have worked together for almost 25 years. Are there any standout moments in all the years that you have known and worked with him?
3: Uh, well, that is like asking who's your favorite child and you happen to have 100 children. Um uh, This is not hyperbole. Every time I work with Maurice, it is a remarkable experience. Maurice LaMarche, people don't know this, but uh, not only is he a genius literally and figuratively in in terms of being the brain, but he won back-to-back primetime Emmys for his work on Futurama. Maurice LaMarche is a movie star. And uh, not only is he that professionally, but he is one of the kindest, gentlest, sweetest, classiest humans you'll ever meet and i am a far better human for having maurice lamarche in my life he is uh, a brother and as an actor makes me a whole lot better so you're talking to somebody who is the uh, charter member founder of the maurice lamarche fan club i love that man
1: And we love him and we love you, my friend. On behalf of the Triple C Podcast and PopCultureHQ.com, Rob, thank you for giving us the gift of your time. And thank you for gracing us with your presence here at Wizard World Chicago 2018.
3: Thank you, buddy. Good night, everybody.
1: All I can say is, wow. Well, you got to hear it there, folks. My two interviews with the fabulously talented and awesome duo of Maurice LaMarche and Rob Paulson, a.k.a. Pinky and the Brain, and also in the case of Rob, two Ninja Turtles, Yakko Warner for Maurice, his many awesome roles on Futurama, Egon Spangler, Inspector Gadget. The list goes on and on for the both of these guys. And before we wrap this uh, segment up, I just want to say from the bottom of my heart, thank you, both of you guys, Maurice and Rob, for graciously giving me time to interview the both of you for the, well, for the articles at the time and also for now the podcast, getting to air the interviews here, it was quite frankly a monumental moment getting to meet the both of you. Like I told you guys at the convention at that point in time, both of you and your many colleagues in the voice acting community played a huge role in my life, inspiring me to want to get into radio work in some form or fashion initially as a uh, as a voice actor like you guys. And then I realized that I couldn't maybe hack it as well as you and everyone else had, not even, even with applying myself, so I decided to go into the production element of the radio industry. And I owe it to both of you and to everybody else. I know that uh, at one point back in September, I tweeted out to Tara Strong thanking her for... Her work as the voice of Timmy Turner when I was a young person. And I got a little bit of love from Maurice. Thank you for that, brother. And also from Mark Hamill and the tweets that I put out recently just to promote the podcast and to also get the excitement up because we finally get to air these interviews. Thank you to Rob and Maurice for the love that you have showed these tweets to retweet them and like them to your many fans out there on the Twitterverse. And everybody who has shown love for going to these tweets and liking them and retweeting them and getting them out to your friends and getting the word out that, hey, we get to hear you know Maurice and Rob talk about their careers and everything. How exciting is that? It is really exciting because these guys are exciting, because their work is exciting, because everything that they touch with their gifts is exciting. They have made our lives exciting with every cartoon that they have done over the years, every voice that they have brought to life, every character that they have crafted with their abilities and their skills. And the world is a far brighter place for it because of the work that these gentlemen do and for the work that all of their colleagues in the voice acting industry do, whether it's video games, cartoons, anything. So from all of us here to you gentlemen and to everyone in the voice acting community, thank you a thousand times. Thank you. We're going to take a quick time out and come right back after this with a very fun-filled discussion about John Constantine. Stay tuned. And folks, welcome back to the Triple C Podcast. No, your ears do not deceive you. If you remember a couple years ago, When a certain famous British warlock made his appearance on TV in 2014, you will know that theme song and you will scream, oh my goodness, to the high heavens. That's right. It's time for that segment, I promised everybody. We're talking about John Constantine. And I am joined right now via the phone lines by the one and only Amber, who is in her own right probably the most self-professed John Constantine fangirl alive.
4: You're giving too much credit here.
1: Uh, I don't know. (laughs) Hi. I don't know. Hey, Amber, welcome to the podcast. It's good to finally have you on.
4: About time.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I know, I know. But no, honestly, you are probably one of the most diehard John Constantine fangirls I have ever met in all my years of nerddom. Because I believe, before we dive into our discussion about uh, dear old John, you have every issue of Hellblazer or have read every issue of Hellblazer. Am I correct? You're correct and that's going all the way back to ni- and that's going all the way back to the 1980s when he first started appearing on comic racks during the glory days and the anarchist revolutions of the 80s especially in England yes
4: yep back in the issue of the saga of the swamp thing number 25 in June 1984
1: June 1984 wow Reagan was in the white house the cold war was rampant and he- and hair metal was awesome got to love that stuff now, um, just before we get into a little more into this conversation, a lot of us who are Constantine fans or, or even everyone who is members of the uh, internet community known as the Hellblazers know that Constantine was inspired visually by none other than Sting himself. Now, I've seen pictures of Sting. I've listened to Sting's music. I've read Constantine a lot more thanks to you. But why Sting, of all people, as the visual inspiration for John?
4: Usually when Sting would go and talk to the crowds and when he would just be around, he was sassy and snarky. Sometimes he donned a trench coat, and I guess it just stood out somehow. I'm not quite sure why or how, but it made an impression, and that was how we ended up getting the character creation for John Constantine.
1: Well, it certainly has played well for the crowds all these years later. And speaking of playing to the crowds, this year is a very seminal moment in John's uh, career existence. It's his 30th anniversary. And so to celebrate that 30th anniversary, DC and Vertigo are putting out a very special book, Hellblazer, a celebration of 30 years. And it's described as an anthology graphic novel featuring some of his best tales to date. Now, you've seen the kind of the guts of what's going to be in this book and everything. What makes it so stand out from other John Constantine books? Why should Hellblazer fans add this to their collections?
4: I think John Constantine fans or Hellblazer fans would want to add this to their collection because it's taking the most popular series from every generation of Hellblazer and putting it in one combined amazing book. I think it's going to be a phenomenal read. I can't wait to find out what all the stories are. All I know is that you are going to have people like Alan Moore, Garth Ennis, Brian Azzarello, Paul Jenkins, Jamie Delano, and so many more who have put years and years into this character's creation and are bringing these stories back to newer generations and to the ones who have been there from the very beginning.
1: Well, it definitely sounds like a worthwhile read and something that anybody, not just John and Hellblazer fans, should add to their graphic novels. Now, John has been, again, this is going to be his 30th anniversary this year, and he's Mm -hmm. somehow remained popular even in mainstream media to this day. We had the John Constantine film with Keanu Reeves back in the 2000s, which did unfortunately change his ethnic origin to, or his cultural origin to American. You had Keanu Reeves not even trying to dye his hair and he wore all black. Yet that movie somehow managed to keep the fire going and propel the interest forward to eventually getting Matt Ryan as, well, no offense to Keanu Reeves, the better realistic take on the character. But what is it about the movie that you think managed to help as they sa- as I said, keep the fire going despite its shortcomings?
4: I think despite the movie's shortcomings, the fact that the movie focused on some real world problems mixed in with darkness tends to kind of draw people in. When you give people something new that they're not used to seeing, especially when it comes to demon lore and stuff like that, it tends to get quite a lot of attention, whether negative or positive.
1: That's very true. And I remember uh, one of the most crazy moments in that whole movie for me is John's selfless self-sacrifice near the end of the film, slashing his own wrists in order to draw the devil out so that the devil can personally deal with his wayward son in order to resolve the conflict of trying to jumpstart the apocalypse from the book of Revelation, which is a very, very, ballsy move on the part of the character. I remember when we were prepping for this segment, you mentioned that John had a crossover in the Vertigo Lucifer series and vice versa, Lucifer Lucifer appearing in the Hellblazer title, correct?
4: Yes. In issue number five of Lucifer, um, it's during the visit of Shade the Changing Man. Lucifer visits John, and John visits Lucifer in... Hellblazer 190 it's nothing big it's mostly just a hey they're at the bar they're having a drink they kind of you know hey this is going on this is going on you help me I help you you scratch my back I scratch yours kind of thing.
1: I feel like John making an almost literal deal with the devil is the last thing you'd expect from a character like that who is constantly battling demons and sending them to hell that's even probably that's that's even ballsier
4: i can kind of disagree with you a little bit because john constantine you know while he is a dabbler in magic he's also a con artist and it doesn't matter who you are what kind of creature you are if it will propel him forward in what he wants to happen, he will make a deal and work with anyone or anything, uh, even if it's wrong decision.
1: Yeah, that's very true. He certainly is one to poke his nose where it sometimes may not want to be poked over the years. Looking into the uh, later years of the character in, well, not only the comics as well with New 52 and the DC Rebirth, but also with Matt Ryan first portraying him in the short lived TV series. And then you had the public outcry from the fans. And I do know that you have told me on several occasions that you were part of the army of hellblazers that were clamoring for the revival of the character. And then you had Stephen Amell jumping on board. What is it that, uh, what is it that you love the most about the fact that John was given a new lease on life and grandfathered into the history of the CW DC verse?
4: What I like about it was that despite NBC's shortcomings with canceling Constantine for not being family-friendly, and I say that with quotations, Constantine is a character that in many ways he can be very relatable to. And the fact that he's been growing in popularity and standing out amongst All these other DC characters who some aren't even given a chance to really get taken off of the ground. I think is absolutely amazing. I can't wait to see what's going to happen with Constantine in more of the CW shows. Particularly Legends in which his role so far has been amazing. For a while all of the Hellblazers were terrified that we weren't even going to get to see any more of him. And lo and behold, we got an animated series and they turned that into a movie. He's had crossovers on Arrow and he's in legends and he's just gonna keep getting bigger and bigger, I think.
1: I absolutely agree with you a hundred percent on that. Now, before we wrap this up, two final things about tied to the character to discuss. One of them being and you were very excited about this, the casting of the two gentlemen who will be playing Alec Holland, a.k.a. the Swamp Thing, for the DC Universe Swamp Thing TV series. (laughs) I know you were very excited about this because, of course, like you said, John got his start in the saga of the Swamp Thing pages. What Um, What do you know about this guy, Andy Bean, who's going to be playing Alec Holland?
4: In all honesty, he is not an actor's name that I really know. But I was looking into some of the things that he's done, and I looked into what he looks like and everything. Not only does he look the part, but I believe he's going to be able to play the part. It's a little bit of a difficult question to explain since I don't really know him, but I have complete and utter faith in this.
1: Well, that's sometimes having faith is better than having no faith at all. Final thing, just related to this before we bounce to the last topic. Do you think that they could possibly try to do a crossover with having John go into the Swamp Thing TV series? Now, I know the Swamp Thing series is specifically being tailored for the DC streaming service. But as a Hellblazer fan, do you think that's a possibility?
4: It better be a possibility because if they miss that opportunity, then I'm sorry, DC Comics is really moronic and stupid. (laughs) <laughs> you think about it. John Constantine wouldn't have ever existed if it wasn't for the Saga of Swamp Thing. It was issue number 25 in 1984. And we didn't even really know his name then. He was just known as Hellblazer. And out of nowhere, he just got this immense fandom. Everybody loved his character so much that they brought him back in his own Vertigo comic series from 1988 till 2013 when it finally ended. And then it continued in the new series, Constantine, with New 52 and everything, and that was between, I want to say, 2013 and 2015. And finally, his latest series, which was The Hellblazer in 2016-2018. If you do not have Swamp Thing and Constantine crossover. It is going to be a horrible decision. They have been together in many different series, even Justice League Dark. I mean, I can go on and on with series where the two intertwine together. You cannot have one without the other.
1: I, do, I, agree per, I agree with you with this, uh, especially with uh, borrowing the Constantine Hellblazer trades from you. Their interactions really show that they have a deep bond in some sort of almost brotherly way. Now, before we wrap this it, it, up... Uh, it,
4: it's brotherly, but in some ways it's also very messed up.
1: Yeah, we're not going to get into that because that might get us get kicked off the internet. <laughs>
4: I don't want that. I kind of really like this
1: podcast. Well, we appreciate that. Final thing before we wrap this up. I have a list of a couple of his standout appearances in other things besides the titles that you mentioned, including his one appearance, uh, well, his his full appearance in the early issues of Neil Gaiman's Sandman, as well as stuff like Shade the Changing, Changing Man and Books of Magic. Now, you mentioned Lucifer. What would you say out of the three I just listed, Shade, Books of Magic, or Sandman, is probably your personal favorite appearance of our beloved John?
4: In all honesty, I would have to say I like him in the Books of Magic the most because you see his character the most in it. In the Sandman, all he really did was hey, Dream needs help recovering this pouch of sand, which has part of his power in it, and that was kind of, you know, the end of it, and he might make an appearance now and then, but nothing as big as, say, the Books of Magic, where he's helping out the boy, Timothy Hunter, and everything that is becoming to him.
1: Hmm, Well, that's a certainly one, that's a certainly deep way to look at it. Well, you heard it here first, folks. From one passionate hellblazer and member of the John Constantine fan army, Amber, is there any final thought before we wrap this up on why people should go out and read John Constantine comics or go and watch the movie or even go watch Matt Ryan as John?
4: Yes, actually I do. If you want a anti-hero, not someone who's completely good, but not someone who's completely bad, who's not afraid to turn the tables and get nitty-gritty, and you want a little bit of a darker, sometimes more gruesome story to check out, Constantine Hellblazer its a really good place to start. Everything about it is so unique and different, and yet it stands out so much that they've incorporated him into things like Injustice. He's had He's worked with Batman. He has picked on Superman in the comics. He has gone and helped out Green Lantern and a whole bunch of other things. Why would a character who wasn't so interesting and unimportant be so ingrained in DC Comics? Otherwise, why? Because it's worth checking out and worth a read or a watch.
1: Well, you heard it there, folks. Worth checking out and worth the read or the watch. Well, Amber, thank you very much for taking time out of your schedule to come on and talk a little bit about John Constantine. We really appreciate it. Thank you. And now, coming up next, folks, a really great discussion on Green Lantern and the upcoming possible fan cast for the Green Lantern movie from Warner Brothers and DC. We'll be right back after this. look up in the sky folks it's a bird it's a plane no wait it's a great big green garbage truck yes welcome back to the triple c podcast ladies and gentlemen and once again i am josh daniels your host with the most riding solo this episode without my buddy kevin matthews but never fear we're still going to bring you all the latest nerd stuff to talk about, and joining me now via the phones is uh, my good buddy, Liam Kale. Liam is a screenwriter, director, and a former resident of the Chicagoland area, but he is also, arguably, one of the biggest Green Lantern fans I have ever met in all of my life, and he's here to talk about Green Lantern today. Liam, welcome to the show.
5: Oh, uh, well, I'm glad to be here, Josh.
1: All right, so first off, now, I've you and I have known each other for a fairly decent amount of time now, and... We've had many conversations regarding what DC could do right when they finally, finally make a Green Lantern movie under their own banner. What's one of the things that you're hoping, uh, not only as a fan of Green Lantern, but as a, uh, as I said before, screenwriter, as a director, as a uh, film, film lover, what do you want to see the most out of that movie when it happens?
5: Oh well, I mean, well to start off, I mean, I don't know you that well. You just came up to me weird in the street. I said, "Okay, I'll do this podcast." No, I'm kidding. Um, well, first off, you really need a, a you need a good actor, a great actor to play Green Lantern.
1: And so the big question is then, who do you get to play? To well, specifically in this case, we'll just go with Hal Jordan, since he is arguably to many the most famous of the Green Lanterns who would you get to play Hal in place of say going off of Ryan Reynolds performance
5: oh god don't uh, that doesn't exist in my world sorry um, no, you're fine okay uh well the my pick and i guess everyone else's all over the world's pick i would go with army hammer
1: now, that's interesting i remember uh, seeing that on the internet and to go bounce off of that i found From This is going back a little ways from April of this year from ScreenRant.com, casting the Green Lantern Corps for the DCEU, or now uh, Worlds of D.C. as they're calling it. And they proposed James Marsden as Hal. What are your thoughts, being a film enthusiast, on the merits of either of these gentlemen to suit up as Hal Jordan?
5: I mean, they both would be good. I mean, R.B. Hammer has more of like he could be that goofy, comical side, and you see him when he plays Bumbling as uh, as in the Lone Ranger movie. But he's got that serious side of him, and you see him in a mask. So I think he could pull off very well, and he's acted with Superman before. So he's got some merit there. James Barsden would be good. He's got those merits, but then, again, I'm going to keep thinking he's Cyclops.
1: Yeah, I can understand how that. And it's not that he was necessarily bad as Cyclops, but they really underused his character in the X Men franchise. Oh, yeah. So I definitely can see where you're going with Army Hammer. And having seen both Marsden and Hammer wear a mask of some sort, whether it's Marsden wearing Cyclops' visor or in this case, Hammer wearing the Lone Ranger mask, it looks more natural on Army Hammer for some reason. I could see it being more believable on on his uh face with his bone structure and everything and also even if they were to do a combination of special effects and a traditional you know cloth mask or something with some spirit gum attached it would be more believable i suppose for a guy like that to have just played a character like the lone ranger who's more of the i don't mind working with people but i'm also used to flying off and doing my own thing
5: oh of course and on top of that army hammer is actually the kind of the perfect age range Hell,
1: I agree 100%. Now, moving on, I never, I, I believe we discussed this at one point, but who would you pick to play john Stewart?
5: Well, um, I had thought at one time, like, like what, of course, everyone else was saying, I did think of Idris Elba, but he seems the type of guy who, who, who will join a franchise and then hate it afterwards, <laughs> if you don't mind me saying. But there's like a couple others I think would be good, like uh, John Boyega would be a good pick. Everybody knows it's Finn in the new Star Wars. Or this um, one actor who just won the Best Supporting Actor, I think last year his name is Marshall Ali, would be a really good pick.
1: Those are both excellent choices. Um, To counter that, uh, just going off of the screen rant thing. They recommend using Sterling Sterling K Brown, the uh, one of the stars of the NBC series This Is Us. What are your thoughts on oh, a, that... what him versus one of your other choices?
5: Oh well, actually, if that actually would be a good choice too. I mean, I've seen him in the Predator movie. He does got that kind of authority, Thor, you know, authority. Feel to him like Stewart would have. So he'd be a good pick too. I wouldn't mind that.
1: Alright, then uh, we're just we're we're going down the list here for the four main guys. You and I both love and hate Guy Gardner's character a lot. He's oh, obnoxious, yeah. he's blowhearted, <laughs> but he also Guy also does have a heart of gold. When the chips are down he's not afraid to charge into battle, ring-slinging his way through a horde of bad guys to help his friends, whether it's Hal or Kyle or John or fellow superheroes or members of the Corps. I don't believe, I actually don't think we ever got down to Guy Gardner, so I want to hear your pick first, and then I'll bounce off of that, who Screen Rant would thinks would be a good fan cast for the role of Guy.
5: Uh, I had a couple picks. Uh one my main pick who I really thought would be good would be Joel McHale.
1: Ooh, Joel McHale. Very nice.
5: And I mean and, and yeah, he's got the attitude in hell. I mean just throw some red on the hair and you got it. Uh yeah, I'm sorry to drop the H E double hockey sticks there.
1: It's all good. It's all good. So Joel uh, McHale. No, that would that would definitely be a good one.
5: But if they if Hollywood wants to go with Need to pick the pretty actor type. I will settle because I think he could pull it off. I would settle for Shannon Tatum. See, now he could pull that arrogant off, too.
1: No, he and Channing Tatum is not a terrible actor by any stretch of the imagination. He's had roles where they didn't seem to fit him as well. I like your option of Joel McHale. I uh, loved him. In, I loved him in everything he's ever done. So he would definitely, fit, and he has that, he can do that arrogant persona. Before we uh, get on to Kyle Rayner, they are suggesting Eric Johnson for Guy Gardner. Now, what do you think about using him? Even the, And he's already played a hero at one point in the 07 reboot of Flash Gordon, even though it kind of was not the greatest thing in the universe. He still has had experience playing a heroic figure.
5: Oh, oh that's... Who that is. Okay, because at first I was, I was about to say, don't know who that is, but then when you said that, I'm like, okay... Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. He might be. If you want to go with, if they want to go with, baby pick an unknown to try to give him a little breakthrough part. Okay, I'll go with him. But I'm really excited on Joel McHale.
1: I I have to say, thinking about it, that Joel would probably be one of the best choices to play the role of Guy Gardner. Now, last but not least, and arguably your favorite of all of the Green Lanterns, Kyle Rayner. Now, before you uh, give me your choices, here's the one that screen rant recommended rami malik now everyone who doesn't know who that is if you haven't seen bohemian rhapsody yet you need to go see it because he's the guy playing the one and only freddie mercury and if you need further reminder of who he is he was the pharaoh in all of the night of the museum films hanging out with uh you know the night with larry and everything and helping him save the day now what do you think about rami malik to play kyle
5: Huh? You know, I I never thought about him. I mean, of course I know him as you know he was amazing as Freddie, and of course I know him from Mr. Robot. That's another good show of his. But I never thought about him as Kyle. Maybe. Well, if they did pick a bigger, a big, you know, name kind of star, they maybe he'd be a good one. Now,
1: um, what What is your personal fan casting choice for the oh, role of I... Kyle?
5: Okay, I went with um, the actor uh, Dylan O'Brien, if you have seen American Assassin or the Maze Runner movies.
1: I'm familiar with both of those properties, so I think that would be in a pretty ideal choice for that. So that's all four of the big guys, the uh, main heroes of Earth uh, that are members of the Green Lantern Corps. And I've I read your script. I read your treatment, your, uh, your rough treatment for... The Green Lantern movie, if you were to ever get called called up to the uh, Warner Brothers DC offices and being told, hey, we like your stuff, we want you to do this. The role of Alan Scott, you have Alan playing a very large role in your movie. And uh, being a Golden Age fan myself, I appreciate that. But also because of the fact that Alan has had a very defining role over the years in Green Lantern comic books, whether it's his own stuff during the Golden Age or the later years in the 60s and 70s or showing up into the 90s and the new millennium, who would you pick out of everyone to suit up as Earth's first Green Lantern?
5: Well, some people might know him. If you're a fan of the show uh, Justified or you saw the Live Free or Die Hard, um, I will go in with the actor Timothy Oliphant.
1: Tell me, Alfon, that's a very good choice. Uh, Going off of two separate fan castings I found from ComicBook.com over the years, they suggested either Dan Stevens or Alan Tudyk. Thoughts?
5: Alan Tudyk would be would actually have the more ideal age, and I think he could pull that off because I've seen him in a, a role where he wore a suit and he has that kind of businessman mentality, but he had that mentor mentality. Hmm. All right If you want to pick like a, a fan pick, that would be who, who I go with. But I like Oliphant because this part in his movie, I Am number 4, when he explains the powers this kid has, it reminded me of a part in one of the trades when Kyle doubted himself and Alan talks to him to kind of tell him, you know, hey, what you feeling isn't nothing.
1: Oh, well, that's very interesting. I'll have to look into that sometime. Now we're uh, we're coming down to the wire here on this segment, but uh, as we get as we start coming down to the wire, I have to ask, out of every Green Lantern over the years that people have loved, why specifically for you is it Kyle Rayner? A lot of people seem to go more towards Hal because he is arguably one of the more famous Lanterns, being the one who made the revival during and helped to kick off the Silver Age alongside Barry Allen as the Flash and then Marvel with their Silver Age properties coming to light, or it's Jon Stewart because of kids growing up with the various Bruce Timm animated co- cartoons. Why, for you, is it Kyle Rayner? Why the guy who is basically, quote-unquote, the fourth stringer of the of the Earth Lanterns?
5: Well, I think it has to do because, um, I mean, I'm not in the exact field he's in, but Where both, one is that he's an artist, as I'm kind of technically one. And I just, I really just follow his story that he, you know, he's, you know, he takes on his burden. He accepts it, but he always has that feeling of, I could do more or I've failed. And I've I've felt that way in life at times. So I think that's why I relate to him so much. I like him.
1: Well, that's very interesting. Now, again, we're getting ready to wrap up here. For all the listeners out there who don't know as much about Kyle, aside from reading any of the DC Rebirth or New 52 comics, where he plays a larger role in the Green Lantern Corps, what would you recommend as the start for anyone who is hearing our conversation tonight? They know about Hal. They know about John. They even know a little bit about Guy from maybe having read... Justice League International or Justice League Europe or any of the Justice League books from the early 90s where he played a bigger role, where would you tell people to go for the beginning of, hey, this is Kyle Rayner, this is how you get to know him as a hero, as a man, and as a lantern?
5: Oh, it's easy. It's the, um, I mean, it could be in one trade or just two trades together, the Emerald Twilight and New Dawn storylines.
1: And what what about those specifically? Are they his origin story specifically from oh, when yeah. he? Uh, oh, so those are his origins specifically from when he is given the uh, the last ring. Now I, I know a little bit about him from having read the DC Encyclopedia and the Justice League uh, DK Publishing intro book that was that was published back in the early 2000s for kids, and I and reading the Grant Morrison runs on the Justice League. But so this is specifically where hey, you want to know who Kyle is, what makes him tick that's how you get to know him is that it
5: oh yeah definitely all right then well you see him when he finally takes on the role and then you see the one event in his life that always haunts him and scars him that you know when he fails he he thinks back to that moment
1: and i was I, i remember reading this years ago in an issue of wizard magazine you're talking about how his first girlfriend Whose name escapes me for the moment uh, is uh, Jen. Uh, is, is that Jen, or is it? I kind of thought Jen was Jenny Lynn no. Hayden, uh, the Alan Scott's daughter.
5: Well, no, uh, her name is uh, no. That's no. Her um, his uh, first girlfriend's name is Jen as
1: well. Okay, so it's Jen, and I know this specifically the thing you're talking about. It's where he comes home to the apartment, and he finds her, uh, unfortunately, her body in the fridge, having been smushed up by Major Force, who had been sent by a black ops arm of the U.S. government to try and figure out who this new lantern was and to try to take control of him after the whole fiasco of Hal Jordan is Parallax, correct?
5: Yeah, and well, actually, uh, he got sent personally by Waller.
1: Oh, wow, wow, wait, wait, Amanda Waller uh, herself sent Major Force in to figure out who the, yeah. new, uh, the new ring-slinger was.
5: Yeah, and he basically told Force, whatever me, that's kind of one of the
1: reasons why I hate Waller. Huh? Interesting.
5: Well,
1: who does it? Wow, that certainly is a reason to have a have a major hatred on for somebody like Amanda Waller, especially somebody so powerful. But folks, we are gonna uh, we are gonna wrap up this segment here. Liam, thank you so much for taking time out of your schedule uh, this weekend to come on to talk a little bit about the Green Lantern, to uh, walk us through some of your own personal casting decisions, and uh, give us some uh, professional feedback on these uh, fan casts from ScreenRant.com. And best of luck to you in all your future endeavors, my friend.
5: All right, thank you. And one more little plug make this movie work is a good story and good director, hopefully me.
1: All right, then. Well, folks, you heard it from the man himself, a good story and a good director. DC and Warner Brothers, take notes. And everybody, we are going to take a quick time out and come back with the last segment of today's Triple C podcast and Reader's Reviews right after this. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to the Triple C podcast. No, you have not been transported back to Wembley Stadium in Great Britain in 1985. Yes, that is Queen's Live Aid rendition of one of their most famous songs, arguably. And I chose that transition music for a very specific reason. A little something just to throw out there. In the last segment with Liam, when we were talking about the Green Lantern movie that DC will eventually be putting out through their st- through their uh, for their uh, Worlds of DC franchise mentioned Rami Malek as a possible contender to play Kyle Rayner in that movie from the fan cast from ScreenRant.com from back in April this year. Now, again, I chose this song for a very specific reason, and it's mainly because I just happened to see Queen in their uh, fabulous movie, the biopic film about the band and Freddie's life, Bohemian Rhapsody, last weekend. And Rami Malek did a stupendous job playing freddie he got everything from the mannerisms arguably pretty dang close to his voice but it's obviously impossible to nearly perfectly duplicate something of that nature but just everything about the movie was fantastic the soundtrack uses 22 different songs from the queen catalog arguably many of their more famous ones but some of their lesser known ones as well and just shot for shot scene for scene the whole thing was a true loving testament to the greatness of of Freddie Mercury as a performer and as an artist and the greatness of Queen as a band. And they were more than just a band. They were a family. And that theme of family comes up very heavily throughout this movie as you look at Freddie's life and being a member of Queen. Now, moving on before we eventually get to readers' reviews, I have a fun little piece of uh, CW Arrowverse crossover news since Kevin and I have a very fun penchant for plugging that uh, wonderful franchise throughout this program this is coming from tv line and you can see the photo no doubt through twitter and instagram as well superman and lois lane break the ice in arrow crossover first look now last week we talked about how there was a photo put out on social media that had melissa benoy in civilian guise as Kara, and Tyler Hoechlin in Civilian Guys, Sans Glasses as Clark Kent, and Elizabeth Tulloch as Lois Lane, hanging out on the Kent farm. Well, this photo is less of a casual, hey, we're just going to take this picture together. We're all in some sort of costume. Look, it's the, you know, super family. You've got Supergirl, Superman, and Lois. This is a professionally done photo, and it is fabulous, showing Tyler in costume as the Man of Steel and Elizabeth in costume as Lois Lane and they are in the Fortress of Solitude. And just the way they look in the photo, in costume, in character as Lois and Clark, really helps sell the excitement that a lot of Lois and Clark fans will feel getting to finally see Lois Lane in the Smallville universe and also getting to see another great Lois and Clark interaction. And we've had many wonderful Lois and Clarks over the years, whether it was George Reeves and Noel Neal in the 1950s Superman series, Christopher Reeve and Margot Kidder in the Superman franchise of the 70s and 80s, Terry Hatcher and Dean Cain during the 90s on Lois and Clark, Erica Durant and Tom Welling on Smallville, or more recently with Amy Adams and Henry Cavill during, in the DC franchise. And now we're going to be getting another one. And I think this one will be pretty awesome as well. They both look comfortable together in the characters of Clark and Lois, both when whether he's in the Superman suit or in some farm boy clothes. And I have a very good feeling about it. This whole crossover with Elseworlds is going to be spectacular, especially with getting Ruby Rose, as we have talked to the Hilt many, many times now, as Kate Kane, a.k.a. Batwoman. And quite frankly, the CW has been knocking it out of the park ever since they first debuted... With Arrow back in 2012, and now here they are, many years later, multiple seasons later, multiple shows later. And I can't see it ending anytime soon. Honestly, if the bubble wanted to pop, it would, but so far the bubble has kept growing and growing. And there have been, yeah, there have been episodes where, eh, that one wasn't as good, stacked up against the overall. But it's it's not a point to really quibble about because it it's just being nitpicky at that point and there's no point in being nitpicky. Now, normally we would go a lot longer on this segment because Kevin would be here for us to talk about a lot more stuff, but him being not here today, we're gonna cut this one a little bit short and not because of lack of content to discuss, just because I could go on and on and on about various topics, but I don't wanna bore you dear listeners Y'all have put up with me on the times where I've done a solo episode, and I don't want to make this one boring either. Although, arguably, this has been a pretty great episode, having some very wonderful people on to discuss John Constantine and the Green Lantern DC fan casting and eventual movie. Moving on to my readers' reviews, I've got two really good ones for you guys today. I've got, because we've got the upcoming... Hellboy movie in 2019, Lobster Johnson, The Iron Prometheus. This is volume one of the Lobster Johnson series. Now, for everyone who knows the Hellboy franchise, you'll probably go, oh, cool. I didn't know that was still around. No, it's, it's, it's hard to find a copy. This was uh, given to me as a birthday present by Liam, actually. Thank you for that, my buddy. And it's hard to find because this is out of print. This You cannot find this anywhere in regular bookstores you have to go to your comic book shops or to ebay or to amazon or to a specialty website so finding stuff like this is really hard and hopefully the hellboy movie will not only propel a renewed interest in well the hellboy comics and those are constantly getting reprinted all the time but also especially with the character of lobster johnson and the reason being is that we're actually going to be getting lobster johnson it has been confirmed, so I've got one more little piece of news to talk about, uh, Lobster Johnson will be in the Hellboy movie for 2019, and I'm very excited about that because I love pulp novel characters. I love The Shadow, Doc Savage, and other figures like that, and so this will be a very interesting thing, especially because so far, that they are, many sources are claiming that Thomas Hayden Church will be suiting up as the Lobster. Now, you guys may remember him mainly for his role in Spider-Man 3 as Flint Marco, a.k.a. the Sandman, or for his performance in Sideways. And if you want to go all the way back to the 90s, for all of our listeners who remember this, the sitcom Wings. That's how far back we're going here, folks, with this guy. So, best of luck to Mr. Church. I hope he knocks the role of the lobster out of the park. But anyway, on to Volume 1 of Lobster Johnson, the Iron Prometheus. This is a great, great kickoff for the character of the Lobster, especially for the uh, small roles that he showed up in the various Hellboy comics before Mike Mignola decided to give him his own series. It's a complete love letter to the pulps of the 1930s. You have the Lobster and his valiant band of agents going up against the very mysterious villain Memnon Sa, who is out to steal the power of Vril, which has been harnessed by a scientist and channeled into a suit. Not only do you have this guy trying to get this strange ancient power, but you also have, hey, it wouldn't be a pulp adventure set in the 30s without some Nazis trying to get their fascist fingers into this and steal that power for the Fuhrer and the Fatherland. And like I said, you've got Mike Mignola on the writing with Jason Armstrong on the artwork. So I heartily, heartily, heartily recommend that everyone goes out to pick up a copy if you can find it of Lobster Johnson, Volume 1, The Iron Prometheus. Again, with that writing by Hellboy creator and father, Mike Mignola, and artwork by Jason Armstrong. Now, my second reader's review is one that many of you will know, and many of you love. I'm talking about none other than the Grant Morrison-Frank Quitley collaboration, JLA Earth 2 from DC Comics. And this one I wanted to cover because, well... I love DC, I love comics in general, don't get me wrong, but DC has always put out some of the really juicy stuff for me when it comes to characters like Superman and Batman and Wonder Woman, and Grant Morrison is a favorite writer of mine, so I felt it fitting to talk about this particular book. Now, for everyone who hasn't read it yet, you'll remember the Justice League animated film where the League goes over to Earth-2 to go up against their villainous counterparts in the crime syndicate. Man, Ultraman, Superwoman, Power Ring, Johnny Quick, and etc. Well, this is sort of well, actually, you know, to be more specific, the concept of the Crime Syndicate goes all the way back to the Silver Age in the 1960s, but the morrison quitley collaboration is I would say one of the better ones in my opinion because you have Morrison's writing really digging down into a lot of the intricacies of Who are the evil counterparts of the Justice League on Earth Two? What are some of their baser motivations? A little bit more of the interpersonals between them and also between members of the League. And you've got a really good lineup for the League at this point, because this is being during the Morrison run of things. You've got Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman, Kyle Rayner as the Flash. You've got Wally West. West, like I said, as the Flash. And of course, you have Aquaman and the Martian Manhunter. So it's a very, very good lineup overall. Morrison's writing is stupendous in this book. Now, I know a lot of people will say that about him, and every and some people are more inclined to say, oh, Grant Morrison, you know, oh, he's great and everything, but enough of him, and Frank Quitley, enough of that guy, his artwork's great, but what about such and such? And, well, that's your opinion, and you're entitled to that. I would say, though, that if you want a good Justice League story that really gets into the nitty-gritty of things and into... What does the League do when they're faced up against an enemy who literally can think on the same level as they do and is arguably blow for blow, power for power, or in this case for Batman, skill for skill. They're equal in many ways, but inverted and twisted, like the Mirror Mirror episode of Star Trek on the world where everybody is a villainous counterpart. And hey, Leonard Nimoy has a goatee. There's a throwback for you, folks. At the end of the day, though... Comics like this are fun and amazing, not just because of the writers and the artists and the creative minds behind them, but because we readers appreciate them for what they are. Gems. Big gems, little gems, gems of all shapes, sizes, colors, and cuts that truly make comic books worthwhile and amazing to read, even in the 21st century. But honestly, at the end of the day, it isn't really not just the... You know creatives and the people who buy the comics that make them worthwhile in the end i've said before and i'll say it again it's the characters themselves the men and women who put on these costumes these armors these power rings these suits and go out day after day into the fictional pages of the great unknown facing foes and enemies the likes of which that we could probably never hope to stand up against in the real world And that is why superhero comics will remain forever a treasured part of culture. Well, folks, it's been a great episode of the Triple C Podcast. Thank you for listening. We'll be back next week with Kevin returning. As always, make sure to support your local comic book shops, libraries, and more. Be true to yourselves and always be nerdy. We'll see you next time.